There's a common thread with successful individuals. They've worked hard, but they've also made hundreds, if not thousands of mistakes. What if you could learn from their mistakes without any consequences? What if you could hear from talented individuals who have achieved great success in their given field? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to shorten your learning curve, learn from the best, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. I'm your host, Mike Perry, and welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome to the next episode of the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Gregory. Rob Gregory is the owner and founder of Red Bones Barbecue, located in Davis Square in Somerville, Massachusetts. They've been in Davis Square for 33 years, and in today's episode, Rob is going to share some valuable information on how he started the business, the lessons that he learned along the way, but also he's going to give you some valuable insight on how he had to pivot during the COVID-19 pandemic. Stay tuned because you don't want to miss this. Okay, welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose podcast. I am here today with my good friend, Rob Gregory. Now, I've known Rob for a decade plus. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with him and, and be his, uh, his personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, and I've, uh, and I've also had the opportunity to uh, work with his family as well. Uh, Rob started Red Bones Barbecue, the, the famous Red Bones Barbecue in Davis Square in Somerville. And um, he's got a, a pretty fun, unique story, but he's also got a ton of knowledge to share with you about his experience as an entrepreneur and in the restaurant industry. So uh, really excited to have Rob today. Rob, how you doing, buddy? Good, Mike. Happy to be here with you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's inter- oh, go ahead. Yeah, great to be here. It's awesome. a pleasure. So let me ask you this, Rob. Um, what kind of, you know, how, how long has Redbone's been open in Davis Square? Uh, 35 years. Well, we opened in ni- 1987. And, uh, and we're still here today, which is uh, quite a feat for, for any restaurant. Um, so I guess we've had some good luck. Yeah, good, good luck and a lot of hard work, right? A lot of hard work. Yep. Always yeah, got to put sure the hard work in. Over the last, uh, you know, over the last month or, or three rather with the whole quarantine and we'll, we'll get into that. But so you've got a, a pretty unique story on how, how Redbone started. I remember part of the story, but I'd rather have you tell it. So how did you, how did you end up like doing barbecue and, and how did you end up at, at that location and kind of let's, let's hear it from the beginning, Rob. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, well, you know, I had been, uh, working in restaurants, bumming around, uh, waiting on tables, cooking, doing all kinds of things while I pursued, uh, all kinds of interests, uh, in my, uh, twenties and, uh, in my, uh, in my late twenties and, uh, early thirties, I realized, oh boy, I got to get something going here. I don't have much of a, uh, a resume, um, or I haven't followed the traditional uh, career path. So I thought, geez, I got to find some kind of small business, probably. And you know, I looked at a bunch of different ideas, and uh, finally, um, you know, it dawned on me. Well, you know, I've been working in restaurants for years, and at the same time, I had seen some of my peers uh, who were cooks and working in restaurants do these uh, kitchen rentals next to bar rooms. There were a, a lot of bar rooms back then in the, in the 80s that had kitchens in them that weren't being used. They were kitchens from like, you know, probably the 50s, the 60s, 70s, but they had just become bar rooms. And a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, wow, I can make a deal with a bar owner. And I didn't know too much about business, but, you know, I knew about bars and uh, bar owners. So I found this bar in Davis Square, um, had tried out a few other bars and they weren't interested, but this place in Davis Square uh, was owned by a couple of Irish guys and they were uh, running the bar part-time uh, while they worked at Polaroid. And I pitched them on the idea of uh, opening Red Bones and, and doing a barbecue place. And they said, hey, okay, sounds good. Uh, you know, you pay us... Um, half the utilities and uh, we'll take all the money on the booze and bang, we had a deal and 
we 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 were off and running uh you know we we decorated the place ourselves it was like you know decorating a college dorm room um you know did the painting built the barbecue pit uh you know all that type of thing and uh put out a um put out an invitation to the neighborhood we went door to door with menus and uh, invitation on the day that we opened and uh i think that was october 14th i think it was october 14th 1987 we opened and 100 people came and we they weren't even our friends or or family they were just people from the neighborhood and uh you know we had a tiger by the tail from then then on for for a bunch of years as it just continued to grow and grow and grow eventually we bought the uh bar out um and and uh we had the great idea of put at that time, that was probably 1994. We said, well, what do we want to do with this bar? And, uh, we were, well, we all drink micro brews. That's what they called them at the time. And so we said, well, let's put 24 micro brews on tap. And we did. And that coincided with, you know, this huge, uh, beginning of the craft brew movement. And, uh, we rode that wave. So that's kind of the, the short version. Um, there were lots of ups and downs in between. Um, but, uh, yeah, eventually we owned the bar in the building and, and, uh, we've been, you know, plying our trade ever since. Very cool. I didn't realize, so I know I had part of the story, but I never knew that you guys went door to door and, and you made up your own menus. And I knew that you had rented out the bar. I mean, rented out the, the kitchen, but I didn't know that you guys literally just, you know, went old school, printed up some flyers and, and went door to door. And uh, I think yeah. that lesson can be learned for a lot of people even today. Back then, yeah, that was all there was, was old school back then. There was, uh, there was no uh, social media yeah. at all. That, yeah, yeah. that was the social media, you know, at the time, you know, we got the, we went right from the epicenter of, of red bones and just, you know, radiuses out. Of course, we're in a highly dense neighborhood. And at that time, uh, the rents were cheap and it was a very sort of, uh, you know, bohemian hip spot where, you know, all the alternative people lived and there were no places for them to go. Um, believe it or not, Davis Square was sort of down at the bottom of, of, of its economic cycle. And, uh, but there were a lot of people, young people like ourselves, that were enthusiastic and happy to come out and support us while we figured out how to make barbecue. <laughs> we weren't so good in the beginning, but people really appreciated us because we, we, were, we were trying so hard and we were enthusiastic. But eventually we got better and better and, uh, you know, that's that's what happened yeah well it's funny because i said you know you went old school and did it you know uh, printed out flyers and menus but at the like you said at that time that was the only option there wasn't social media there wasn't digital marketing and um you know you don't see people still having that same approach today you you know there's something to be said about going door to door and and you know actually getting facetime with people and making that in person a relationship and i and i feel that you know, what people can take out of that even today is, yeah, there is social media, there is digital marketing, but I honestly believe that nothing will ever replace that face-to-face -face interaction because that's how you really get to meet people and get to know people and recognize people. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, I, I do believe that that idea of just getting FaceTime and, and going to the people around you uh, initially is huge. Everybody's so concerned about you know, getting thousands and thousands of followers that are nowhere where their business is. And you did it again. You just, you said, Hey, we went door to door. We, we handed out menus and, um, you, you even said that the, the barbecue wasn't, wasn't as good as it probably is now, but you learned as you went and you were enthusiastic. And, um, I think when you have a good idea and you're just consistent with that idea, I think, I think you can go places and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see. I, uh, you know, I didn't really, that being said, there was no competition back then either. So, you know, that doesn't hurt. Um, it's, I, I think uh, young people starting up now and, you know, with all the competition, uh, geez, I mean, it's hard. You got to be coming out of the gates on all eight cylinders. 
and uh, it's much harder. Um, you know, back then we were able to slap something together, bootstrap it uh, because of the neighborhood we were in. They appreciated that, but you know, now people, you know, they have to make big investments, and and uh, sometimes that uh, tempers the creativity a little bit too because people are afraid to take chances. We were just taking chances from the get go, so we had a lot of fun. Awesome. So how did you learn to cook barbecue? Because I mean, we talk about this all the time when I see you. I mean, barbecue is one of my favorite food and Red Bones is, is one of my favorite restaurants. How did you learn about cooking barbecue? Like kind of give me your background on that. Well, I mean, we pretty much cooked it. That's how we learned. Um, it was trial and error. Um, you know, I, I knew about barbecue because uh, my, my, on my father's side, my family were from the South Virginia. Um, just uh, southwest of Richmond, Keysville. And, uh, you know, I knew about barbecue, but I'd never cooked it. I'd, I'd been cooking before. I knew how to cook. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just, it was trial and error. In the beginning, we used uh, open pits with wood, and we cooked over open pits. Um, and, uh, I mean, that it was an amazing product. Uh, a lot of pits, a lot of people cook over closed pits uh, with, with indirect fireboxes. Um, but open pits are a whole nother, a whole nother animal. Anyway, that was good. Um, there it's pretty inefficient, but it was a nice product. Eventually we bought a, uh, a closed pit that was made of, let's see, where was it made in, can't remember this guy john willingham he was a one of the early he might have been in memphis i think he was in memphis john willingham and we bought a smoker off of him and uh, we started using that and uh, that was an indirect uh, uh pit and we learned how to cook uh, on that and we bought a big smoker from a guy down in Memphis in May, there's a big barbecue contest down there. We went down there to see what was going on. And we drove a smoker back from a guy, JR Smokers. It was a big, three smokers on a big 18-foot car trailer. And uh, we used that for a long time. And back in the day, we used to cook in the alley next to Red Bones. We used to tow those smokers and put them in the alley. Um, but eventually, you know, uh, the authorities uh, said we couldn't do that anymore. And, um, you know, we had our hands slapped so many times uh, for continuing to do it that eventually we, uh, we stopped because they were going to cut our hand off, I think. Um, so then we, we built, we started with a smokehouse down on Somerville Ave, a little further from the, uh, the restaurant. And there we have a whole bunch of pits now. Um, some of our original pits and then uh, uh, pits that we use from, um, uh, oh boy, I'm trying to forget the name now. Um, oh, it'll come to me in a minute. But we have a lot of homemade pits, barbecue pits, beautiful things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, trial and error, every, every smoker is different and uh, cooks a little differently. So you have to trial and error with every smoker too. Um, J and R. We use J and R. Uh, those are the manufactured pits out of Euler, Texas, that we use. Um, we have uh, let's see, four J and R pits down at our smokehouse, and those are great. They're all wood-fired pits with uh, uh, dampers that are controlled by um, temperature, and uh, but they're all wood-burning and um, ingenious uh, Texan, um, you know guys figured this stuff out a long time ago yeah and it's uh yeah and and i'm sure at first trying to regulate temperature and 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 get the right wood and get the right setup is is something that took a long time and obviously with with uh with smoking meat it's it's a it's a patience game because i mean just for myself trying to do stuff on my own the first few times i tried to cook man it was a disaster and uh and I'm sure you probably, you know, did the same thing, some trial and error, and you probably started off and the oh, first yeah. few meals weren't great. Yeah, we had some pretty bad stuff, you know. We had to slice the brisket thin like roast beef a few times, you know, because it didn't, we didn't cook it long enough. And the thing most people don't do is allow themselves enough time. I mean, you need more, you know, 
figure out the time to cook things and then add two or three hours, you know, a couple hours to let it sit and a couple hours to get the fire, an hour to get the fire going good. Um, you know, that type of thing. People don't account for all that time. It's yeah. a slow, uh, it's a slow process. It takes time to do it right. It's a patience man's game for sure. I, I, the best stuff I've ever made was stuff that took me 12, 13, 14 hours. And, uh, you know, I got up first thing in the morning and, uh, that's why it's good to always have a beer close by just in case. I like, I like the way though, that the, uh, some of the Brazilian cooks that have worked with me over the years, um, when on their days off, they would ask me if they could, you know, buy a brisket from me and I'd, I'd sell them a brisket and then they'd invite me over to their house. And basically they put that, I love this style. Now this, you didn't have to wait for this because, you know, they only had one, one day off. They didn't have time to wait. They wanted to have a good party and a good feed. They take that brisket and they put it on an open fire, like a, a, a you know, a Weber grill or something like that. And then they just keep turning the brisket all, all day long. And then they slice off little pieces, you know, churrascaria style. Yeah. Um, so you might get the outside is all well done and, and crispy and crunchy. And then as you get into the middle, it's, uh, it's some rare pieces. And then they just keep turning it and uh, salting it and a little pepper. And it's pretty amazing. It's a great way to eat brisket in a whole nother way. Yeah, I'm sure. I, uh, I love uh, Brazilian barbecue and it's uh, definitely one of my, one, it's right up there. Actually, any type of meat <laughs> cooked, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with it. So how, how long did it take you guys to kind of figure out like, okay, this is what we need to do for the brisket. This is what we need to do for, for the ribs and everything else. Like, did it take months, years? Like, like what was the process like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it took us a while. I mean, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of uh, written material. And like you say, there wasn't Googling stuff and there wasn't YouTube or anything like that. And the beauty, beauty of it was it was just us and the meat and the, and the fire. And, uh, you know, we were experimenting and trial and error. And uh, being up here, there weren't a lot of barbecue pitmasters, old traditional pitmasters around. Um, so we just had to learn on our own. I mean, it, it took us time. Um, I don't know how long, but you know, <laughs> some days we'd get it right. And some days we didn't. Eventually we started getting it right all the time. And yeah. now it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the, we got a steady rhythm going and we were also getting busier and busier all the time, uh, which was a phenomenal thing. We increased in sales for 20 years and that's, that's unheard of. Um, the first 20 years, just increasing in sales. Of course, the area was coming up too and getting more popular. But um, so we were always having to cook more food and figure out how do we cook that much food and adjust the times for the amount of food. There's also like, you know, meat cooks differently when it's when the smoker is halfway filled than when it's completely filled, you know. So there was a lot of adjustment. Uh, and a lot of learn a steep learning curve to do, you know, high production. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of trial and error, right? A lot of trial and error. Now, I remember you telling me the story about when you first started getting your meat for the, uh, for the, for red bones and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you have someone that was a meat supplier that ended up being part of red bones or something like that? Uh, well, yeah. So we were, we were this kitchen rental. We were, you know, a couple of, you know, young people that had no money. Uh, we, we bootstrapped it by doing this kitchen rental next to uh, the Irish American bar. And, um, you know, we had a real popular success going, but we weren't making a lot of money. Um, and we realized pretty quickly that all the money was in the beer and they were making a ton of money, the bar, the Irish American bar. All of a sudden they went from like, you know, four, you know, four daytime all day drinkers in the bar and that's about all they had maybe they had a few more in the morning you know the bar was actually usually full in the morning um it was a grave graveyard shift bar so it was busy in the morning then by the rest of by noontime you know i think till the rest of the day there might have been four or five people in there but when we came all of a sudden they were selling you know beer and booze like crazy and they were making money we realized quite pretty quickly that you know in the restaurant business 
a lot of the money's in 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 the uh, in the beverages, and so then we started thinking, well, geez, we got to figure out how to buy this bar off of these people, but we had no money because we were just you know basically barely paying ourselves, but had a popular success, and that kept us going. We were happy, you know, we were popular. People liked it. We were doing what we wanted to do. It was fun, and we didn't need a lot of money back then either. Um, but eventually we wanted to try to buy the bar and these guys eventually gave us a price, but it was back in, there was some bank recall. There was all kinds of uh, banking problems. This was like in the early nineties and the banks wouldn't lend us any money. And, uh, somebody told me, said, well, why don't you go talk to this guy, uh, who's a meat supplier down in, uh, in the new market. And we went to talk to this guy. His name was Alan Bressler. Great, great guy. And he owned a company called Agar back then, which was one of the biggest uh, meat distributing companies in the area. And uh, I went to talk to him and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I just said, well, this is what we're doing. And we want to buy the bar. And da, 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 da. And he said, okay, well, sounds good. Um, you know, talk to my lawyer. And his lawyer, uh, Elliot Englander, who became a really good friend of mine. Um, these were all, all, all these guys were, you know, uh, three old Jewish guys from the meat market. Their families had come up in the meat market. They were all in the meat business. And um, they all knew by checking out our supplier that we had been buying more and more meat every, every month, you know, and that we were paying our bills. That's all they needed to know. So they made an, you know, they made an investment in us and uh, gave us the money that we needed to buy the bar. And we had the good fortune of buying the building too. And uh, the rest is history. We bought the bar and put the craft beers in and, and we had barbecue and beer. And it's been, barbecue and beer has been good to me. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I, I can probably speak for a, a lot of people that agree that barbecue and beer are, are a good combination. Um, yeah. you know, obviously you, it seems like you, you learned as you went, right? Because like you said, you didn't, you didn't come from a, a business background per se. You, you, know, you grew up in the restaurant industry. Um, what, what do you think were some of the challenges that you faced early on? I mean, besides the obvious stuff, um, like was it, was it you know, getting the right product? Was it, was it trying to, to get the right amount of volume out so you're not wasting things? Like, what were some of the early challenges that you faced as a, as a newer restaurant owner? Well, um, the challenges. Uh, the challenges, I think, the basic challenges are always the same. Um, you know, trying to get a consistent product day in and day out, which means, you know, trying to get a good supply of product, raw product, day in and day out trying to get train you know your staff to cook that product properly day in and day out keep the machinery running that's cooking that product day in and day out and trying to train and teach the staff that's serving that product day in and day out that's the big you know that takes a lot you know there's a lot of moving pieces to all of that and that's what you if you focus on that stuff and try to put out a good product day in and day out, uh, you're going to get more repeat business from customers that are happy. And that's how you build it basically inside your four walls, uh, along with some, you know, community outreach with flyers and, you know, doing good events and things like that. But yeah, um, as far as, uh, the difficulties, well, I didn't have much of a, I had a good, pretty good background on, you know, working in restaurants, uh, you know, trying to make food, cook food, um, serve people. I knew all, all that. Uh, we knew how to make people happy. Um, it's not easy, but we knew, we knew what we had to do. I didn't have much of a business background. I think that was probably some, one of the biggest, uh, stumbling points for me. I think if I had, I had a little bit better business background, um, you know, we may have been able to do some things sooner than later. Um, took me a while to figure out, you know, about money and financing and, you know, how that all worked. Um, 
highly re recommend you get a good accountant right from day one um, that can help you. And we had one great accountant, Saul Garlic. He was, he was the best of the best. Um, and he really helped quite a bit, but I had a lot to learn. So it's not bad to have some business background. I never went to college, didn't have the chance to study any of that, but I'd recommend it. Yeah. It's, um, if there's anything I've learned in the, in the, you know, the gym business, I know it's different, but it's kind of the same. It's, I didn't have the business background and, and my wife did. She went to school for marketing and, and business. And for me, it was more or less like I was a good coach and I was a hard worker. And that right. obviously took me a decent amount of, uh, you know, it, it took me decently far, but at a certain point you got to develop systems and you got to have your product needs to be repeatable, right? You can't just rely on good days and bad days. You need to create systems. And, and I'm sure you guys probably yeah. did that as you, as you went these days, a lot of people put a business together and they've got this, this really in-depth thought out business plan. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also believe that um, there's something to be said about getting your hands dirty and just, you know, putting the work in and learning as you go. I feel like that's a huge part of, of a lot of successful entrepreneurs and business owners. I mean, it seems like that's what you did. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you and I have that. Some people have that. It's the ability to breathe life into something, you know, and it's not easy. I mean, it does, uh, you know, it takes a lot of um, hard work and persistence and, you know, uh, not giving up and not quitting on, on your bad days. Um, when things don't go well, uh, you just got to keep, you know, have faith and keep, keep putting, put your head down and keep moving forward. And a lot of people don't have that. Um, uh, it's, it's they have I, good I, ideas. Yeah. Well, ideas are one thing, but having that work ethic to just get it done. I mean, I, yeah, uh, the execute execution. Well, and I also think a lot of people just think after X amount of time, you know, once you've quote unquote made it, I mean, obviously Redbones has been around for, you know, three plus decades, but you're still in there, you know, when obviously before COVID you were in there, you know, Friday nights running food, helping with bus and tables. Like you're, you're still there grinding it out, you know, three decades later. And, and I think that's important because you never want to lose sight of what you've built and, and being in the trenches. I think a lot of people feel like, Oh, if I could just build this and walk away, that's going to be a good thing. But I mean, Man, the, the the fact that the the of the matter that you're 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 still in there doing it. I mean, a lot of a lot of business owners don't do that thirty plus years later. Well, you know, a lot of business owners don't have to have to do it. <laughs> I for, I have to do it, but um, you know, I've had I've I've taken some time off. I've had a lot of good vacations, and you know, I've enjoyed my family and raised them, and and uh, I traded off some money for that and for the time, and uh, you know. Now I'm, I'm continuing to work because I, I need to. Yeah. Um, right now <laughs> the, uh, and, uh, and I'm happy to be able to work. I mean, it's a great thing, you know, to be able to have something to do and some purpose and be able to be able to work. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. When, let me ask you this, when you were kind of first starting out red bones and let's say the first decade, how many hours a week were you working? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, I've for years, I mean, you know, nobody counts the hours in the restaurant business, <laughs> you know, it's, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want to. And the problem with, with our business is that, you know, we're, we're, we're getting pits started at eight at night and uh, they're going all night and we're coming in at, you know, four in the morning to get things going. And then we're, we were, until recently we were serving customers until one in the morning. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's all consuming and, uh, you can't be, the, you can't be everywhere all the time. You have to depend on, on good people, which we had many of. Um, but, um, it's, it's our, this restaurant business in particular is, is it demands a lot of hours. So, you know, you, you can work, 10 hours, 16 hour days easily.
Never ends. Yeah, it never ends. It's uh, especially with with your style of cooking. Like you said, a lot of the stuff is on the smoker for for 10, right. 12, 14, 16 hours. So someone has to be there. So early on, I'm sure, I'm sure you were yeah. burning the candle at both ends. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We used to do a uh, radio show uh, for WBCM, Charles Laquadera. He, uh, he kind of put us on the map uh, in, in, in some early years. He, he loved to have us for, I think we went once a week for a couple of years, brought him barbecue uh, probably four thirty, five in the morning, uh, to a show w at WBCN, which was down on uh, Boylston Street in Boston at the time. And uh, you know, I'd have to get up at two in the morning, get over there, you know, get things out of the pits, get other things going, you know. And they'd have a, a breakfast of barbecue every Thursday. I think it was Thursday morning. And uh, then they talked about us on the radio and a couple of times they came over to Red Bones and did their show from Red Bones. And, you know, so those were some fun years. Um, but boy, the hours we put in, <laughs> they were, they were, they were long. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, what were, you know, cause I'm a beer guy. We always chat about beer. What were some of the early breweries or microbreweries that you, that you guys carried um, at the bar early on. Do you remember any of the companies or some of the names? Well, I mean, yeah, early on, um, geez, there was, uh, well, Cambridge Brewing, they're still, they're still going. They were early on. Um, Beerworks, they're still going. They were early on. Commonwealth Brewery, they were early. They're not there around anymore. Um, geez, there were so many that aren't around anymore, and I can't remember all their names. Um, you know, we kind of hit that craft brew movement just at the moment when it was taken off in, uh, in the Northeast. And I, I remember one of the things we did, we had friends that were running the Someday Cafe here in Davis Square, and they were all from Seattle. And they were like, oh, you got to go out to Seattle and, and out to the Northwest. That's a Mesopotamia of beer, you know. And this was, you know, in 1994. And we, and I said, okay, let's go out. And we went out and we, you know, stuck our foot in all these doors and say, Hey, Hey, you know, we, we had one name, Fal Allen. He was, um, he was the brewer at, um, Pike place market, uh, at the time. And, um, but he was well, he was well liked by a lot of people. And, uh, so everybody listened to our story and we're like, Hey, we just want to get a keg of your beer and bring it back to this little bar in, uh, Davis square Somerville. And, you know, we'll figure out how to do it. And, you know, we basically talked, I don't know how many breweries, probably 15, 16 breweries at the time out there in Washington state and Oregon to get us beer. And, and then we had, uh, help from, uh, I think Red Hook at the time, which was a small brewery at the time, smaller, not owned by Budweiser, they helped coordinate all the shipping. And um, I think we brought out like 260 kegs to the little bar of, from the Northwest. And that was the beginning of, and, and we invited all the brewers, uh, you know, the, all the brewers that were in, in the Boston and New England area to these parties. And they were all interested in tasting all that beer uh, from the Northwest, you know, and we, then we just kept having these parties, these brewers parties and uh, you know, people would Northeast uh, breweries would bring, bring their brew and we'd be pouring that and everybody would have a chance to taste it. This was all, all these parties were down in what we call underbones below uh, red bones. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, had a lot of many many of the uh early craft brewers had their beers on our tap and can't remember all their names that's all but, right um, I mean, hey, some, some of them are still here and some are gone yeah i'm sure um most of the early ones are probably gone if they didn't get bought up or you know expand berkshire brewing they're yeah. still around. They were great. They were in the early days. Um, geez, who else? I'm trying to think. 
I'm trying to think of. I'd, I'd need somebody else to be here to jog my memory. That's, yeah. <laughs> no problem at all. So over the years, I mean, uh, Red Bones has, has obviously been a staple in Davis Square. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen so many restaurants come and go. But there was only a handful of, uh, of restaurants that were, that were there when you started early on. And I know the Burren was one of those. That was a place that uh, I used to go to early on. Um, but were, you know, the burn, were they there after you? And the burn came, um, the burn came a, a number of years after us, 87. We opened, I think the burn may have opened in 96. We opened in 87. Johnny D's was there, uh, before us and, and Mike's restaurant was there before us. Other than that, there really wasn't much, um, there were some that came in and went, um, but then the burn came and they stayed. That was great. Um, Sligo's was always there. They were the, uh, Sligo's was, there was the Cadillac. That was the old man's bar. Sligo's was sort of the, uh, the contractor's bar. And then Redbones, which was Barnaby's at the time, the bar was named Barnaby's. That was the, the graveyard shift bar. Um, every bar had its own, you know, niche. Um, but Sligo's is still there. As a matter of fact, they're, they have an outdoor patio now. They're doing great with this uh, outdoor patio and COVID out in the back parking lot. That's, uh, that's funny. And now, you know, I remember you and I were talking, you were saying early on, Somerville and Davis Square was not a, you know, that's not where a lot of people went. It wasn't considered a high-end kind of wealthy area, but you know, wow, yeah, 30 well, some years. It wasn't years up and coming. What's that? It, it wasn't up and coming back then. No, it, it, it really wasn't. It was just, uh, <clears throat> it was a place that was, um, wasn't up and coming. Just people were living there. It was livable. Everybody that worked for us lived right, right around there. Uh, it was affordable. Um, and people were doing their own thing. It was, a. it was, in the moment, it wasn't, uh, what do they say, being or becoming. Davis Square was just being back then. And then it just went into a lot of years of becoming and becoming. And it's continuing to become. Uh, but those were great years in the early years when uh, people, we were right here, but nobody knew where we were. <laughs> yeah. And, so we and had our own fun. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, even just from a, you know, if you were to try to buy a brand new restaurant in Davis Square these days, it would it would probably damn near impossible because, first of all, there's probably not much space, or even if there was space, um, I'm sure you know property values in that neck of the woods are absolutely bananas now. Yeah, let's see what happens. But um, yeah, that's what that's what did happen. You could never do what we did. You know, that yeah. was kind of a Cinderella story. Um, Good timing, good luck, hard work. And, and being first, time. like you said, that's never a bad thing. No. Always never. a good timing is, timing is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, what was I going to ask you? So at what point did you kind of know, hey, this is, this is legitimate. Like, we're, we're doing okay. And, and at what point did you realize, hey, we could, we could probably make this into a, a pretty popular spot? Was there like a turning point at which you knew that this was gonna was gonna go okay or is it simply you were just busting your butt and then you know eventually you kind of you know lifted your head out of the water and saw hey we're doing all right well yeah i mean it was kind of like that we had a hundred people like you said that first night and i don't think in 20 years we ever had less than a hundred people on any night at red bones at first we were just open uh six nights a week closed on mondays eventually we opened Mondays and eventually we opened for lunch. Um, but like you say, we never had less than a hundred people for many in the restaurant ever for, and you know, we were having two out two hour waits on weekends, two and a half hour waits. Of course, there wasn't a lot of competition. Once you got to Davis square, there was nowhere else to go. So you waited, but you were happy to have a drink and wait. And the wait was half the fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was busy from the, you know, like I say, we had good timing 
and the area was full of people that just wanted to come out and the timing of it all worked and we were busy, 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 but we weren't making any money and we were about ready to give up because, you know, it was a lot of work. We were doing a full service sit down barbecue dining thing and, and, uh, it cost a lot of money to do that. Um, and all the money was in the beverage and we weren't getting any of the beverages. Um, and so we, you know, we were really trying hard to figure out how we could buy that bar and it took quite a while to put that together. But I think, I guess once we bought it, um, you know, we borrowed money like, you know, and took on these partners and, um, you know, we had our fingers crossed that it would work. You know, I had finally figured out, took me long enough to figure it out business wise that it, theoretically it should work. And sure enough, you know, the first year, I think we paid back that loan. We paid ourselves some more money and, you know, we were off and running. Things were going well. And, and, and that's when we, I think that's when we knew, you know, this was going to work for the long term. And that was probably, you know, six years in. Yeah. It's so it's funny you say that because like you were just saying like the, you know, going to the bar and hanging out and waiting was part of the fun part. I feel like, I feel like just because, you know, the, the state's been shut down for months. I feel like, man, what is, what's it going to feel like to go out and, you know, wait at the bar and have a beer and, and wait for your table. I feel like, uh, those are, I, I don't think, that I didn't think we'd miss, you know, I, well, I didn't think I'd ever have to say we can't do that, but obviously with, with COVID and, and everything else, it's just something that, uh, I'm sure is, uh, something that you never experienced over the last 30 years. No, no. I mean, I, I don't think that, uh, that type of fun is going to be, uh, you know, tempered quite a bit um, for the time being. And, you know, who knows how it'll come out, how, how we'll come out of it. Um, yeah. Had no idea this was coming. I mean, the biz, the restaurant business was getting harder and harder. There was a lot of saturation in the marketplace in the last, you know, 10 years. And, you know, there were a lot more people, taking a piece of a pie that wasn't growing. Um, so everybody was making less. Um, and, you know, it seemed like there was a bubble about to burst, but nobody had any idea. We had no idea it was going to burst in this way. Um, so, yeah, things will change, I'm sure. I mean, I see a lot of young people out in outdoor dining, and they're all sort of still having a party, and young people will party. I don't think you can stop that, but, uh, it, I, it's going to be different for sure. Yeah. And who knows about, you know, we're, we're a university, uh, uh, town, a university area, and we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, you know, if enrollments are down or a lot of people don't come back. People go to remote learning. You know, I always said that, you know, our area, uh, was always buffered from these recessions over the years that we had. And we always did fairly well right through them. Um, but it, I think it was the university and I call it the university industrial complex, you know, always was a buffer, you know, because people were always sending their kids to school no matter what and through thick and thin. Uh, but now this is going to be different. We don't know. Yeah. Just wait and see. Everything's so uncertain. But we're we're holding our own with takeout and delivery. That that has boomed, uh, you know, with people at home now, and uh, that's the business that we're in. Um, just still trying to cook good barbecue on a on a daily basis. But now people are getting it through delivery and uh, pickup, curbside yeah. pickup. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that actually that seg segues me into talking about um, kind of pre-coronavirus COVID-19 into where we are now. I mean, so before all this hit, you guys obviously had, you had Red Bones, you've had upstairs, you had downstairs, you had the food truck, and you had the catering stuff. Am I missing anything yeah. else? Well, the bar. And the bar. Yeah, obviously the bar. And that was a big part of what you, you've done. And now, due to, to, to COVID, you're pretty much just take out every day all day right i mean it's it's just i can't that's imagine right. how crazy takeout it is and delivery all day long that's all we do delivery and takeout and uh it's pretty steady um but yeah that's what we do so 
customers, uh, you know, we miss the customer interaction. It's hard, you know, you, you realize you do miss it. Um, you know, we just have phones ringing at us and, and online orders and, um, and, and just those of us that are working there and we don't have the distraction of all these different interesting people coming in and out. And so that's, uh, uh not easy. Um, but, uh, we're fortunate that there is a lot of business, uh, for takeout and delivery. And we, you know, we, we don't sell the, the beverages like we used to. So we're really trying to learn how to make a margin on the food only, but you know, over the years, I think we've, we've been learning and, uh, we'll figure that one out. And we are starting to sell more beverages, um, to go because it's allowed, uh, for now. Um, and uh people are buying uh you know margarita slushies and all kinds of different cocktails and uh that's great yeah i mean th that's the beauty of having having the internet and having all of this you know doordash and all these apps from your phone i mean you can literally pick up your phone and order food and have it to your door within an hour or so i mean it's just uh in a way obviously technology if we didn't have those options it would be really really it would be hard to survive for, for a lot of people. So in, in a way, the, the technology is good. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I love technology and some days I hate it because I, I'm definitely an old soul. I like to, I like to see people. Yeah. I like to interact. And, um, right. I, you know, I couldn't do primarily just like online coaching and training. I think I'd go a little bit of – I think I'd go yeah. a little crazy. But what, when did you know – so once COVID hit, when did you realize, man, like we got to – we got to adapt here. We got to change. Like, was there something that made you say, Hey, listen, we got to, you know, this thing is not going to be a two week flatten the curve scenario. And, and when did you decide, Hey, we need to really just change our entire game plan and we need to move on to, uh, to something a little bit differently. Was there, was there something specific that led you uh, to that decision? Well, no, I think we just forced into it. I mean, you know, we didn't work for the first month and a half. And, you know, we just sat around the house enjoying each other for a long time. Having all that time was great with the family, but worrying about getting COVID and worrying about this thing and then worrying about where our next buck was coming from because it ceased on March 17th. Boom. We stopped having any income. And, uh, you know, over a month and a half, you start thinking about, well, what the heck are we going to do? And, uh, and then you get tired of being in the house and worrying about getting Corona and worrying about where your next buck's going to come from. And we had a takeout delivery business. We were fortunate. We had already had a takeout delivery business. It wasn't what it is now, but it was a growing percentage, uh, in our, past pre-COVID business. And so I said, hey, that's what we got to do. We just got to go out there and uh, do the delivery and takeout and see where that goes. And we just, you know, we made a decision to go front line and, and do it. And uh, we set a date and we got ourselves all prepped and ready to go and started up and got the smokers going from, you know, a month we had time to just fix everything, clean everything up. That was great. We enjoyed that. Just a small crew of us um, just during the day, go home at night, relax, have a few beers. You know, that was great. But then we decided to get going. And um, I think April 24th, bang, we opened. And boy, it was through the roof. I could not have imagined that in a million years how much business we were going to get prior to covid we had been open for the last few days just before the, we shut everything down just for takeout and delivery and we had done you know a modest amount of takeout and delivery and i was thinking well we'll probably do something like that and it wasn't bad i was like that's pretty good we could probably figure out how to survive on that but it was geez i don't know it was five times that more it was six seven times that and uh you know of course you know we're 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 well trained in having a tiger by the tail and we 
made adjustments and adapted. And, you know, the first two days were horrible, mistakes everywhere, disaster. <laughs> and then every day we just kept getting better and better, you know, and fixing things and, you know, devising new systems and creating. So it's like a startup business. Um, it was a lot of fun. And um, I think, you know, we're into week, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 now. And um, it's gotten to be sort of, we've got it down, you know, yeah. for the time being. Yeah, exactly. Until until some other surprise comes your way. Exactly. Um, until something else changes on us, which I'm sure it will. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 hoping we don't have any more surprises this year. That's a uh, that's plenty. Yeah. Um, so if you were to if you were to talk to your younger self, if you were to sit down and have a conversation, you know, with with Rob Gregory, however many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, like what advice would you give yourself on? on running a, a business, what would you say to yourself? Um, I would say hire people that do the things that you don't do well. That hire people that do, you know, do the things, you know, I, I never really hired people that I hired people like myself <laughs> and that's not, the, I don't think that's the best thing. Um, because you know, I was good at certain things, but I needed, I needed to develop other areas. I mean, the organizational part of it, I think I needed to hire better organizational people, uh, in the beginning. I think that would have been very helpful had I understood that. Um, and, understood that those people would be very different from me. So I would have to learn to understand them and know and be able to identify them. Um, you know, I hired a lot of great hardworking people like myself, which was huge. Yeah. Um, but they were great hardworking people that lacked the lack, had the same uh, skill sets lacking that I did. <laughs> And but we all worked together and we made it work. Um, but it would have been good if, had I uh, understood that earlier on. I think. Yeah, getting getting people on board that can fill some gaps in the business and and that have various skill sets that will allow the business to you know grow that much smoothly and, and exactly, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah, that's so, um, important. People, let, let me people uh, that go far. People that go far do do that well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what advice would you give to a, a young entrepreneur? Maybe someone wants to start a business, whether it's in the restaurant business or anything else. What, uh, what piece of advice would you give, you know, someone that's thinking about starting their own business? What would you tell them? Well, I mean, I just seriously look at the risk reward. I don't think the risk reward adds up too well in, in, in the restaurant business right now. Um, you know, I think you have to look at that carefully. Um, you know, you, you, you're risking a lot of money to get something started nowadays in the restaurant business and the reward is not there like it used to be in the old days. Um, there's the, the return on, on investment is not that great and there's a lot of liability. I mean, the liability has just increased over the years. Um, I don't know why people do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, you'd look, I'd look at that very carefully. Um, you know, the deal makes, uh, the, the deal is very important. And there are a lot of bad deals out there. Um, but that being said, if you have the, the, the perseverance, and you're willing to work really hard and, and make changes on the fly, you can probably overcome a lot of uh, mistakes in the beginning. Um, but you also have to have good timing and good luck. So, I mean, young people should pull triggers, try things, at least try things. Um, but don't blow your whole wad because if, if you do, you won't be able to fail and then try again. I think when you're young, you want to keep trying things, pull triggers, try things. So you want to be able to uh, you want to be able to invest 
but not everything. You don't want to lose everything yeah. if it doesn't work. You want to be able to pull that trigger again because sooner or later you're going to find something that works. Yeah. I, I, I forget who told me this, but they were basically like, if you're going to invest money in something, be okay with losing it. Meaning like if you're going to put 10 grand on something, don't make that your last 10 grand, right? Make sure that if things go south, you still have something in the bank account or, you know, something else going on because I mean, sure, there's, there's something to be said about, you know, putting all of your eggs in one basket, but at the same time, I mean, there, these days businesses are, it's so unpredictable that um, it, it never hurts to, you know, make that decision, calculate your risk, but at the same time, uh, understand that, you know what, not every, not every at bat is a hit. And, and sometimes you, you just don't do it. And um, I can't tell you how many people that I've seen and, and I'm, me being in the gym industry started businesses because they thought that, oh man, owning a gym is going to be the next greatest thing. And guess what? They found out really quickly that, wow, this is, it's a lot harder. I still don't think people understand what goes into to running a business whatsoever. They, they see the result. They see the highlight reel, but they don't actually see <laughs> what actually went into it. Yeah. Or, or, or if you're fortunate enough and can find some opportunity the way we found it in the beginning, uh, where, well, we didn't have anything and, uh, we didn't have much to lose. And we did a kitchen rental next to a bar. It was a low cost, uh, way of getting into something or getting into something for nothing. Uh, of course, you know, the return's usually going to be a little less, but at least it gives you a chance to, you know, get some, try something out and get going. And, uh, uh, you know, that's how we did it in the beginning. Uh, those opportunities are rare, but if you keep an eye out for them, I mean, maybe if, you know, you find some guy that's got an underutilized gym and you, you know, I mean, I think maybe you did that and you say, Hey, I, I, I have uh, clients. I'm going to run my gym out of this. And maybe you build up your business that way without having to go out and, you know, put the, put the money down on the lease and, and personally sign the lease and buy all the equipment and have everything, you know, that would be ideal. And maybe it'd be perfect that way, but sometimes you have to start imperfectly and, uh, just to get something going. Um, you know, those are good ways to get started. Test yeah. the waters. Yeah. Kind of the way you did it, I think, in the beginning. Yeah, well, that's when I met you. It wasn't at our, you know, my current gym. It was, it was at another facility. And, and uh, um, you know, it, uh, I was fortunate enough for you guys to, to support me and support Skill of Strength out here. So that was uh, something. But at the same time, you know, I, that's what I did. I, I didn't go into that, that other gym over at AE, I didn't go into that thinking I want to start my own facility. It kind of happened based off of several different circumstances, but you know, it all, it ended up working out and I was fortunate enough to have a lot of people that, that followed me as well. So, um, that's great. So I, I want to kind of ask just one more question and then we'll finish up. I know you do a lot in the community in Somerville. Um, how important do you think it is for local businesses to really get involved in their community? Do you think that's something that, one, obviously it's a good thing to help out and to be in the community, but do you think that, you know, being a, a positive, a positive business and a, a staple in Somerville, do you think that that has helped and has had benefited your restaurant? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this, these are the people that are, you know, will support your restaurant. I mean, you know, right in your community. I mean, there are people that, come uh, from outside the community because they want barbecue or something special like that. But most of, the, most of your customers are around you. So if you support them and their, uh, you know, their um, organizations and their interests and things like that, they generally will support you. Um, so I think it's very important to, um, you know, be visible in the community and, and, uh, participate. Um, and, uh, you know, people will, will reciprocate. Yeah. It's you simple. Guys, you guys do a lot with obviously within Somerville and I know you guys have, have done some work with, uh, NEMBA, which is, uh, you know, the New England mountain bike association and, and a bunch of other things. Right. So I do think it's important. Over the years. Yeah. Many. Yeah. Find, uh, 
you know, if you find um, uh, your interests and, and support them and pursue them and, you know, help people and they will help you for sure. Yeah, that works uh, that way. Yeah. It's funny. It's just some old school, uh, you know, do, do unto others as it, uh, you would do to yourself. And, and I still think there's yeah. some merit in that, but, um, well, listen, Rob, it's I like I, putting I, flyers out door to door. <laughs> These days it's a little bit different, but, um, yeah. but, uh, well, well, anyways, Rob, listen, Hey, thank you so much for hopping on. And, uh, I'll, I'll probably end up seeing you tomorrow at the gym or, or on Wednesday rather, but, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and guys. Oh yeah. That, that's, that's the other thing, Mike. Yeah. The advice, my advice is stay strong. Don't weaken. Stick <laughs> with a good coach. And, uh, that's, that's important too. Uh, thank you for uh, keeping me strong. You have yeah. to be strong to, to stay with it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. Well guys, listen, if you haven't been to red bones in Davis square, I highly recommend it. And, you know what? If uh, once everything gets gets uh, gets going again, um, you know I'm sure I'll be there as well. Well, thanks again, Rob. I uh, I appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Hey everyone, it's your host, Mike. I just wanted to take a few moments to say thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate your support. If you did enjoy the podcast, I'm going to ask you for a couple favors. One, please share the podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones. Two please give us a positive review in the app store. Thanks so much. Be safe and God bless.